We have the election. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> That's what's next. Uh, <laughs> buckle more up. More smoke than I can handle. <laughs> I yeah, I saw at the Trump rally today. They just had a like gargantuan blue back the blue flag, the black flag with the blue stripe running down. I'm just like, yeah. Ugh. Fucking scary, man. It's like, like there's no American, no red, white, blue American flag to be seen. Just a huge black and blue flag. Wow. It's like it's like Midwest Nuremberg. Ugh, scary. That is scary. I just, it's yeah. It's just like it's just so. It's like what the fuck? I've been pretty equally distressed about both sides for the yeah for. Ah. A year for the long, long time, and I, I watched this documentary. Hashtag unfit. Mm-hmm. Um, just about Trump. Um, I mean, it, it was. It didn't even seem to try to do any kind of like even-handed journalistic yeah. inquiry. It was, right. just, it, but maybe there is none to be done. I don't know. But there is. I'm. I'm a. Is it just me, or is every election the most important election ever? It's oh like, yeah, it's been an ex- that way. Like Has it been that way for longer than I've been al- alive and paying attention? Um, Do they always feel the stakes? I think are like epic. Yeah, First, I remember my when my dad when so I was like in 1976 I was eight, and when Jimmy Carter got elected, my dad, a lifelong Republican, came down. I'm like sitting there eating my Cheerios, eight years old. My dad comes down, he's like. Son, it's all over. It's all over. I'm like fucking Jimmy Carter, you know. So it was like that. This idea that like your existence is under threat, according to whichever yeah, party you adhere to, is deep. Well, I mean, just because it's never been true in the past, though, doesn't mean it's not true now. No, it seems extra true now. Like that, uh, <laughs> like that line in Office Space. Where he's talking to the shrink. He's like every. Every day I wake up, remember how terrible the day was yesterday, and this day just gets worse. So well, but every, both sides can't be right. <laughs> every day is the every day is the worst day of my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, for sure, both sides can't be right. I had this. <laughs> it was so strange how rapidly sequenced they were. Welcome. Um, I had a conversation with one friend. It was just like, if we elect Trump, but there won't be a country in four years. I'm having that a conversation, democracy. and I'm like, yeah. From her we'll still have a country. And then I, <laughs> I, uh, I like got in my car and I drove home. There was another conversation going on on my front porch, exact opposite side. The guy, yeah. like this, my landlord was just like, if uh, Sleepy Joe gets elected, we won't have a country in four years. <laughs> like there was the, the exact same, like pretty, pretty much the there exact same verbiage. Yeah. Um, about the opposite side, just like dead things. I brought up that this had happened, that both the people like said the exact same thing, and there wasn't this like, oh, like, I wonder what I'm not seeing that they are. It was like, what a fucking idiot. <laughs> what, how, how stupid can you be? Like, that's, there, there's just, like, that's, that's just the, 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 the talk of total imbecility. Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's really distressing. Yeah. These are people consumed by mind viruses, not, yeah. Yeah. not dealing with them. Um, Reality. Yeah. 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 Right. Are you needing your notes? Oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely didn't need those. <laughs> um, 
cozy. Have you heard from, have you talked talk to Fern at all? Yeah, she's not coming today. Okay. I mean, her, her mom passed away like oh two days God, ago. Yikes. Where's, where was her mom? She's in Washington. Wow. Was it unexpected or? No, it wasn't unexpected, I don't think. I mean, maybe the timing wasn't expected, but uh, her, her mom's been dealing with huge health issues for a long time. It doesn't make it any easier now, I don't think. Yep, I'm sure. But she sends her love, she wants to make it next week, and she has a suggestion for what we do next week. She cool. doesn't want to do for Becky again. I've been really enjoying this this go through. Um, it's been really like when I was when I listened to it before, it just was back to back while I was doing some something else, and, and this just like most of it just like went one ear out the other. Um, and it's been really helpful to slow down, do three a week, to talk about them, and finding a lot of a lot of gold. This yeah, time. But, me too. But I'm happy to. You should take everybody's input. I'm happy to move on to. Yeah. I mean, if we could just keep it, I mean, it doesn't stop me from keeping, you know, yeah. going through the rest of the series. I mean, we could also, if we wanted to, take a break and then pick it up later in the bed after we've had a, some breathing room from it. Depending mm-hmm. on how people feel about I wonder if she's listened to the most recent ones or if she kind of burnt out over the last couple. Because I feel like I picked up steam. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like the higher consciousness stuff, like I was just I was starting to. Yeah, I think he's setting up. He sets that it's like it might take a couple lectures to set things up, and then like not going out of the park. Like he's, I think he's going to spend. From what I can see, there's the one that we did 14, and then I think he's he goes from the Stoics, from Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics to like Christianity and something else, which is an obvious progression, so he's going to go dig deeper into the Stoics, which is exciting to me. I, I love the Stoics, so. Yeah, I wonder where, I wonder if she'd be up for kind of going a little bit farther with it and just seeing if it kind of turns around, because mm-hmm. I was in the same boat as her, like, previously, just these last two, just so right, yeah, yeah. yeah. the stuff on the parasitic process. I know. Yeah. Really super interesting. I had to listen to it twice to get it, and I, I it was like when I got it, it was, it was really powerful. Um, the, the disgust and uh, yes. what did he call it? Or the disgust and the, uh, the moral and the purity mm-hmm. codes yeah. getting those separated was like mm-hmm. super that was great. Yeah, yeah. Was really cool. All of a sudden, I was like, like examining my own. Like I was like, oh <laughs> shit, <laughs> you know. It's like well, it's fascinating how often we will commit to purity codes at the expense of actual moral codes, mm-hmm. which has profound implications. That's what uh, Nazism is, conflation of purity and morality. I mean, that's what mostly all well, totalitarian fascist governments do. That's what I was like, Maoist doctrine and Stalinist doctrine, or Bolshevik do- doctrine in general. Yeah, purity to the party or something. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not racially defined. It's more, like, ideologically defined. Well, the thing I was thinking about was 
like the most simple sort of example I could think of is is like people pleasing. So a purity code says that we get along with our peers. That makes us good people. That we get along with others in the world. But what we sacrifice is an element of honesty to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, we end up being consistently dishonest in our relations because we're trying to be nice or to have people like us. And really, ultimately, that doesn't work out at all. Um, at least in my experience, I become bitter and resentful. But that was like a real simple example of how that sort of those codes, those purity codes that are designed to help society run efficiently can actually compromise the moral ethics involved. There's like a, like a time, can be like a time scale trade-off where you have maybe some short-term cohesion mm-hmm. that allows for um, like, you know, you kind of like gloss over some of the, the discrepancies or you're, you're, everybody's like adhering to a purity code and the areas where it's not working, it's not actually matching up to reality, it's not actually being adaptive, you, uh, you don't, you, kind of, you uh, by design, avoid those because you want to maintain cohesion above all, all else, but then that makes us a fragile system which then isn't, can't, uh, can't adapt and must eventually break or, um, yeah. Yeah, that was that was Hannah Arendt's like um, analysis of total of how like a demagogue and totalitarianism can keep a grip is if you can it's like in people's personal daily lives they keep buying these little lies like progress is right around the corner buy the American dream be middle class be straight you know just like you keep like despite evidence, overwhelming evidence that it's not working for people, they just keep buying into it, and they're like, yeah, okay, I'm just gonna keep buying into it, and it's like, all these little like, little lies that people buy compromise their integrity so much that when the big lie comes along it seems completely natural so it's like, you know what I mean, it's that was her, that's like a famous passage of hers, and it's like I find that really compelling What do you think, do you think there are, that's going on in our contemporary I, in in a frightening way, I think. For you, like what what are the things that that you are encountering that are you know it's kind of like what do you think the most persuasive and seductive lies are? You know, it's easy to be like the the person that's like QAnoning or like you know like the sort of shit show they bought into. But like I'm trying to think for me personally, like that's a good just question. at a personal level, like what are what are the lies that I'm buying into? For me, I think one of them is like this countervailing idea that if I get get intelligent enough and I can figure it out, that I'll somehow like achieve transcendence over my own suffering. (laughs) That it's like placing a primacy on intellect and ego. That I'll like somehow achieve some kind of nirvana, and it's like that's continues to be disproven over and over again in my experience. But my ego and pride just keeps like pushing forward. It's like one more book one more argument, one more dialect, you know, so it's like, that's one that I think I am starting trying to shed, but it's like, it's so powerful. Yeah. And it feels like there's something so perennial about it, but there also feels like there's something kind of like, 
like there's so many people trying to capitalize on that influence yeah. as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. You know, some YouTube feed about how to like be more whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's one. That's an easy. There's probably all you know. There's all kinds. What about all the like drugs for mental stimulation and all the nootropics, focus, nootropics, yeah. yeah, all that kind of stuff. Do you think that's a? Do you think those are lies? Well, I mean, what was the question? Depends on kind of raising, riffing off the the Hannah Arendt, like the, this idea oh, of that lies. these little things we're buying yeah. into all the time. And asking a question like, like personally, like what? Like I can see other people's bullshit really well. I feel yeah. Like, but like for me, like what's the bullshit that's making some big piece of bullshit <laughs> more more probable? And, and I don't even know if that's possible. Like entirely, except in hindsight, which is scary. Um, Maybe the biggest one is that I'm not suffering from the same bullshit these other people are suffering from, <laughs> right? It's like, I'm somehow the exception. I organic bullshit. Yeah, I, I love Jordan Peterson, and Vonnegut, Kurt Vonnegut made this point too. He's like, we all like to think that we'd be the ones that didn't join the Nazi party yeah. in Nazi Germany. It's like, oh yeah, well, those people, but I would have been standing up and like being strong and defy. It's like, bullshit. You've been marching in lockstep, you know. It's like, and that that idea, I love that idea in Peterson. It's like the realization that there is that darkness and capacity in you is the beginning of understanding yourself and being able to sort it out. The line of good and evil runs through every human heart. Yeah, I am the murderer. I am the thief. I am, yeah. I think on a societal level, like one that I bought into and found, you know, like in hindsight through examination to be hollow is sort of the, I mean, it's the standard American story, right? You can, with enough hard work and effort and enough brains, you can be anything and you can be successful and you can have status and you can have financial security and, you know, I mean, that's a story that's woven into every like everything go to school because you don't want to end up working at mcdonald's because if you go to school then all you know and you do well in school then all the opportunities will be open to you you know go on to college because college is going to be the only way that you're going to have all these opportunities and it's this sort of promise of something that's always to come and yet it's not the reality for the vast majority of people the people who do find that are it's often through luck experiences it's not through something that they possess within themselves it's like they get lucky they get right time right place or they get some sort of a windfall that allows for them to venture off into a new like there's this dismissal of that sort of um Luck might not be the right word, but that there's a, an assistance that comes along in some form to allow for that to happen, whereas for the vast majority of people, they can work really, really hard and they will not acquire fame and fortune. So I think societally-wise, that's like the big one. It's, it's been, uh, Can you connect to, I'm sure you know this, like, talking point that at least Benjamin Hero brings up every chance he possibly can, which is that if you, like, if it's statistically, if you, what is it, if you graduate high school, don't have a child before you're married, um, can work full-time, 
that you will, yes, you will not end up likely in the one percent, um, but you will, you will definitely. Well, you be, it becomes probable that you're going to move on at least the, the bottom twenty or the bottom whatever that whatever percentile is. It's kind of like um, that there is actually a social mobility if you bind into these kind of this kind of ideology, this kind of American ideology. What do you think about that? I've watched a lot of people. I mean, I guess it depends on what your your sites are set on, you know. But I've watched a lot of people. I myself followed the course and found that at the end of it, it was like because here's the other interesting thing that sort of dovetails with that is that your possessions define your status in society. So if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year and you're trying to be in a certain social strata then you need to spend money to sort of match that social strata. So are you really, I don't know, it's just an interesting circular thing that, um, that seems to, Like, it's just not the experience of the majority of Americans. Most people end up in huge amounts of debt with student loans, buying new cars, getting into homes. So, like, they're they're working in jobs that they're... Like, it doesn't provide happiness. Because that's the other piece of the lie, right? Is if you achieve these things, then you will be happy, right? And you'll have freedom. And actually what it does is it, it reduces freedom because there's a tremendous amount of debt and now I'm stuck in this job that I hate uh, because I have this, you know, car and this house and kids are in dance and, you know, like all the stuff that we do, um, you know, and so there's like, I can't quit my job because how will I pay for all of this stuff? So there's this like, it's, I don't know. Sort of rat race. Yeah. And I think that we we buy in that like happiness will come as a result of those things and that's just not what I observe for most people um, and that wasn't my experience either I was like I did all these things and it's still life sucks <laughs> but, I mean it probably works for some it probably is there's seems like there's a couple of elements there that model I think used to be a lot more effective yeah. Um, and there was this myth that arose and was never updated. Mm -hmm. that this is what you have to do to succeed in America. Mm -hmm. And and people who profited off that off like I mean, legitimately were like providing a service. And uh, then I don't know. I, I can't trace exactly what happened in the last fifty years for that that myth to become more mythical in the sense that it is uh, not true than just a. a Symbolically true narrative, I guess. Um, so it has become it has become a lie that is is perpetuated, but it but it has its like roots. It, it was never like a, a like a, a, a whole cloth falsehood that was fabricated. Yeah. Like a, it wasn't like, malignant. Wasn't yeah. malignant to begin yeah. with. And then there's also a dynamic too, where you know, in, in order to yeah, like you, for like we were highly consumeristic and we. Think that that is that is the 
that is the the ticket to satisfaction is like consuming the right thing and, and there's plenty of uh, counter narratives to that that never really get any traction because it is so it's like limbically uh, exhilarating to purchase <laughs> to acquire a new thing like that's gone in a second and it's such a leveraged that uh, as an economy the economy whatever we as a society have leveraged that um, that uh, kind of limbic impulse that limbic res response to like toxic extents um, <clears throat> but there is a point <laughs> there is a, a threshold of poverty that below which uh, like des like there is a desperation that that uh, would render any sort of any possibility of happiness and stability like very very unlikely and like over that threshold and there's there's like probably some some like middle ground between like over that threshold and like an upper cap to income that the in, an increase upon which will not make you increasingly happy or secure and within this space there's like plenty of room for un, un, unhappiness but there, there's a like there is a, a higher correspondence between reported satisfaction and um, income. I believe like maybe ten years ago, five years ago, something that that limit was like like seventy five thousand or something. Maybe that's for an individual or for like a couple. Because they actually are happy. Yeah, or like like they're like every time they they get a raise, there is so sort of like oh yes, like like we're more stable. We can like be a little more com comfortable now. Things are things are better. Then there's of course there's always a like how ah, we're but we're we're at seventy thousand. We need to be right at seventy five thousand. But um, when you get over seventy five thousand, the there's a uh, the returns like I guess per dollar of income in happiness like drop significantly. Like That's there's like there's like very very little to almost like a negative correlation to increased income beyond that that threshold. So I mean since we're talking about happiness like. Like ultimately, like you could be happy with like owning nothing, mm -hmm. and so there's 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 a higher sort of spiritual principle here to consider. But just looking kind of materially, statistically, in terms of security and um, sort of like reported well 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 being, there's like there's 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 some kind of correlation between um, not affluence but uh, income. I guess you need to have like something to provide for yourself somehow. The thing I'm curious about with that is, um, like, is that relative to the United States, where we have a particular culture that says, you know, like we're indoctrinated to some degree to that certain achieving certain material successes is, is the equivalence of happiness, and. Or it was that sort of a global study? And I, don't, then, I don't remember. Yeah, because I mean, it is, there is, anyway, I think we're getting into all these different factors around like, well, perception. Have, have and like, but that's fascinating to me that, yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me because I would agree in this culture to be destitute, um, there's a certain level of poverty that, yes, absolutely makes any sort of security and happiness very, very, very difficult. Though I see a lot of happiness people. Yeah, I mean, they do. They're, I think it is definitely specific to culture because cultures have psychological and spiritual and economic signifiers that, like, 
change from culture to culture. And poverty doesn't mean the same thing here that it means in India, that it means in Mexico, that it means in the Scandinavian countries. I know to be destitute in America is usually to be like deeply in debt, and that that is just a, uh, a sickening like it's a yeah. uh, it is just an excruciating like. I think, I think it was broader than the U.S., but mostly limited to Europe, Canada, sort of the European Western countries. Yeah. Um, I have a. I wanted to respond to your yeah, question about too. about <laughs> the lie, or what the lie is. But um, did, did you have, have, have one you wanted to say? Well, I think it's, if I can go back to your question, I think it's really interesting because it's, it seems that my first response in my head was like to talk back against my own ideology and say, yes, if you follow those cultural signifiers, they're meaningful and they can impart meaning. Um, but I think as like, as the reality, as they become more mythical or ho 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 harder to hold on to as they disintegrate over time. I think they're losing their attachment to reality for people. I think the tendency on one side is to... I guess what I say is, like, let's not throw our predecessors under the bus so quick on their intentions in creating these signifiers of, like, progress, success. If you do this, if you do that, if you do that, you can have a satisfactory life. It's like... It, it seems that as that myth disintegrates, we're going to more and more... Um, scapegoat that ideology and and like attribute like malignant intent to it or find it to be like you know bullshit and I think that's a mistake because I think like I think you know in the you know you look back on like in the 20s and 30s or the 40s and 50s it's like there it's like there was actual reason to believe in progress and to believe in the middle class lifestyle. It was, an adaptive it was an adaptive and it was fluid too there were people working within it that were able to like be critical of it and push it in one direction or the other it wasn't a stringent it wasn't always this stringent ideology and I think my tendency my my like point of view is to like get further and further more and more pissed at it you know like it was a lie from the get go it's like a capitalist consumer like American bullshit, but it's like I think that's wrong. I think it like does great injustice to it, um, if that makes sense. Because I think yeah, it's like yeah, stay in school, <laughs> stay out of jail, you know, don't like don't like have kid, don't don't like be a teen parent. It's like follow these like you know these strictures, and it's like of course that that like the culture created a pathway to becoming, you know, beyond, beyond morale, like, whatever moral judgment you want to say on that, yeah, that's a Judeo-Christian, like, it's strict, you know, strict, you know, idea of, like, what it is to become a citizen or a person. Beyond that, it's, like, those cultural signifiers were, like, were relevant and important to people, and, I, and they worked. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But the story has not been adapted to reflect the current reality. It's falling apart. Yeah. And that's what makes it false or a lie. Mm -hmm. 
but it's not. I guess I'm saying it's not. It's like I need to be careful to not like attribute some like ontological lie to it. You know what I mean? To like some like like kind of conspiracy thinking of like it was always it was all bullshit. Overthrow, you know, get rid of it, flush it. It's <laughs> a Darwinian challenge. Like why did this survive? Why was it successful? Yeah. And maybe there's an environmental misfit over time, which would hopefully lead to its extinction. Um, but that uh, can be a longer process. Yeah. You're like, evolution's bullshit. No. Seven days, baby. <laughs> no, I was, I was laughing because uh, you brought up kind of what I was thinking about. <laughs> you mean you were in your yes. creationist up that way? What? No, the... <laughs> Uh, that it may be adaptive. We're talking about such a short period of time, like yeah. from what, like what, eighteen fifty to now, or something like that. For what? Post, maybe yeah. even later than that, like eighteen yeah. eighties. And the um, the environmental crises that is coming for this structure that we're discussing makes the sort of moral questions inside of it seem kind of irrelevant to me just because even if it was morally justifiable, it's still environmentally a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's not a, a good predictor of success in the long run. It's the ultimate predictor of failure, yeah. actually. <laughs> I would argue that the environmental thing is a moral issue, but that's yeah. sort of... Is, is what? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I wasn't saying that opposite yeah. of that, just that you don't even need that. Yeah. Piece. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The direction I would take that question is the the thing that I find myself the little lie I tell myself every day, pretty much, is that like this little bit of attention doesn't matter. I'll like mm. I'll give it to Instagram. Yeah, right. I'll give it too. to this like. Yeah, uh, I'll give sure. it to my phone in some way. I'll give this little bit of attention, um, and that that is not just like kind of slowly kind of sapping away potential like I don't mean like uh, economically productive minutes in my day, but but uh, existentially productive. I could be doing something positive for myself and there like uh, by extension for the world. Uh, but it's uh, it's also enabling this the the like the what big data the um, attention machine the attention monster attention machine oh, thank you. Um, the the what was it uh, what was it called like attention capitalism or attentionalism uh, there's uh, attentionalism is, is one surveillance capitalism surveillance capitalism is one of them and I'm, I'm Knowing f everything, knowing, not everything, knowing uh, in vague outline how, uh, how nefarious and extractive and, um, and lopsided the power dynamic is, I'm still giving it to them because it amuses me for a few minutes. Yeah, right. um, that meme was so worth it, though. What meme? Oh, just the general. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the big one. Um, there was a recent 
Rebel Wisdom, the Schmachtenberger 3, again, kind of addresses this dynamic and kind of goes back to, like, meaning-making and this, like... What was it called? Informational Environment. War on Sense-Making 5. Um, and kind of reiterated a lot of things he said in the past, but, like, in a very clear, concise, and, like, uh, uh, yeah, in a clear and concise way. That I listened to on Rebel Wisdom as well, interview with Tristan Harris. Um, I made a lot of similar points, and between those, those, those two, I'm currently highly aware of the the kind of the so the subtle nefariousness of social media extraction and what it extracts, and how how disproportionate that that power is. Um, Honestly, like, I think it's much more of a civil rights crisis than, like, like anything else that's going on. Like, because it's affecting everyone at a, a like, an appalling level, and nobody's fucking talking about it. Very few people are talking about it. Like, in, in the... Consume terrorism, right? Yeah. With, with the degree of... But yeah, consume... Yeah, yeah, it is. With I mean, the, with the reason why that in particular is I, I, it always and I think I've said this before it always it wasn't until I th- started thinking about some of those dynamics and our obliviousness to it and mm-hmm. a lack of like consciousness mm-hmm. as a whole class of people that are being impacted unwittingly by this that there's this like this notion of class consciousness yeah. becoming like aware mm-hmm. like that was just so bizarre to me that like maybe a peasant doesn't really even think of themselves as like a Class until certain dynamics come to light that mm-hmm. allows them to appreciate like common interests mm-hmm. and things like that. But until then, you're just doing your thing like your parents did. And, you know. Mm-hmm. So I always, when I look back at history, I always think of any like saying like a peasant or a slave. Is it just being self-evident that there are a class of people that have like particular interests? And, and it wasn't until I thought about the own thinking through that hard idea of the concentrated as like a class a class analysis and that consciousness you can have a class of people that don't have consciousness of being a class of people to which power dynamics are at play mm-hmm. and that has a set of interests as a class mm-hmm. um, and, yeah sorry. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I'm wondering it's, that's interesting that you say that because I'm wondering one of the elements that like, I keep thinking about Thoreau's, like, the, the majority of men suffer silently, and it's like, I, when I'm, like, my attention is being siphoned away on these things that I know, it's like, I've got some, like, work to do in the program, and some spiritual work to do, and it's like, I find every excuse not to do it, you know? It's like, it take 15 fucking minutes, and I'm on the, on my phone for, like, three hours, and, and three, three and a half, four hours a day, and it's like... So what I'm wondering is, you know, that like Kierkegaard said, it's like the specific, the specific characteristic of suffering is that it does not recognize itself as such. I wonder if what's being siphoned is not my attention, but my suffering in a sense of like, and then that, that, that idea of like a class, you don't gain class consciousness until you recognize that, that, that your suffering is not intrinsic to your being. Does that make, you know what I mean? That it's not like. It's yeah. not, oh, this is the way things are. This is like human, human nature is a fucked up argument, <laughs> you know? And it's like, 
Well, the, the whole state of the concentrariat is that they're passive and passivity and they're constantly being kept that way by the attention that they're able to siphon off. It's a kind of two-way exchange. It like gives power, energy, money, whatever to these corporations and it like gives soothing, soothes that suffering, you know, makes, puts, pushes it out of your mind. But it is suffering in a weird way, isn't it? It's like I wonder, it's like in that parasitic processing model, is like it is assuming that you are aware that you're that like you're in a loop of suffering, but you can't get out of it because of all these networks of like of like echo chambers and reinforcements, right? But it but it, but what's missing from that is is like maybe there's even an element where you're not even aware that this is a negative loop or you're suffering. It's like what's being t taken. It's like addiction, right? It's like, oh, that heroin feels so good. It's like, I, I was thinking about it a minute ago, but now it's like, I'm not, you know, you're like in this like pacified suffering, but it's still, it's still suffering. Like, are you using that word in the sense of like that loss of agency? Yeah. Yeah, right, that, yeah, that reciprocal narrowing, is that what the yeah, behavior is? Yeah, that was a great concept. Did I get that right? Is it reciprocal yeah. narrowing? Yeah. I don't know, I'm not articulating it very well, or maybe it's just too squishy of a thought, but there seems to be, it's like, that idea of like not, not even recognizing, that's what I worry about when you ask that question, is like, I'm worried about my attention being siphoned away, is like, I'm not recognizing that I'm suffering. That this is actually silent, I'm silently suffering, it's like when I'm doing, you know, solitaire for two hours, it's like, that's actually, that is suffering, even though it doesn't declare itself as such because it doesn't fit into like the models that I've been given of like oh my life sucks you know it's like I'm wasting it's my not time a, it's not a pain I really appreciated that when he sort of broke down suffering in that way that we think of suffering as, as painful but really it, it just needs to sort of like um, get consumed by or overrun by something and to lose agency you know, so absolutely, in that example, that's exactly what's happening. And it's not a bad feeling of pain necessarily, yeah. but it's, it's, uh, I, I lose agency when I pick up and start scrolling. It could be 10 minutes or it could be an hour later. Can, can, can we outline that reciprocal narrowing dynamic real quick? It's a, got it when he was talking about it, and I, I couldn't quite articulate it back, so. Throw something out there and tell me if you guys think this is what he's getting on about. Like, I'm thinking about if I'm sitting at home and let's say I, my computer's put away and I'm just kind of like at books, I have a guitar, I have uh, maybe a child playing in the other room, I have uh, my wife doing something, I'd be like, I have a bike downstairs, I have like a whole lot of different options that I can do. I have a phone with friends' phone numbers on there. Let's imagine I just kind of like decide to go to the computer and just real quick check YouTube because, you know, I just need to check your book link or something, you know. Who knows, maybe a new video has been posted or something, one of the things I follow up. I flip up and then pretty soon, sometimes I'll just like really just go for it where I'll do, where I'll do, my thing's reaction videos, which is like the epitome of interpassivity. 
where I'm like, I don't even listen to music anymore. I just listen to other people listening to music. Oh my god. It's like deeply like Baudrillard is creeping into the room. Okay. <laughs> it's like a simulacrum of simulacrum. Yeah, it's so. like uh, yeah. yeah. So this is my and and like and there'll be this moment where I'm like I like who knows how much time's passed. I know I need to go to bed. I'm like way up past my bedtime. But like the the option, all those options of like my wife have like narrowed to like this thing and like pending crisis if I don't stop. <laughs> like my life, all these options have narrowed down, and my whole nervous system is kind of like yeah. synced up with this. Yeah. So that those are my two options: is like, do I just like somehow bring this train to a halt? You know, like how like. Yeah, that, that's really the thing. It's your nervous system. Like, yeah. like you're, you know, on that kind of, on, it's a, that, that deep of a physically instantiated level. It's a little tornado of clicking and suggestions, mm-hmm. you know. Um, now, expand out to where, let's say, I'm, I'm struggling with some addiction, substance use, and now I have, like, my whole friend network maybe or what's left of it is like geared around that I mean, gosh like high school like you wake up someone's trying to find a bag and that's like what you're doing as a group that's like the, your game for the day is to literally acquire a bag of cannabis and everything you do for the whole day is geared towards that you eventually do that and all your social interactions all the like yeah. ritual all everything and then you go to bed and you repeat. And it's like, if I want to step, I can't engage with any part of my day socially without getting sucked into that. I don't know how many times I was like, seriously, like, I, didn't, I don't even like smoking pot. <laughs> I mean, I spent my entire high school smoking pot when I don't even like smoking pot. Like, it makes me paranoid. It's like, well, like, at some point, we stopped being imaginative children and, like, took all that energy and just did this stupid ritual daily. Um, And so the the reciprocal narrowing is that and also that element of the uh, autopoetic dynamical process or known as jargon. But where all the pieces kind of lead to each other and kind of you can't like do any one dance step without being pulled into all the dance steps. Um, and where your whole day starts to look like that, and all your actions and choices are a part of that dance, it's so hard to get out of that. That's why quitting smoking is difficult, too. It's like it's, I mean, the number one thing at Gutenberg, if you wanted to quit smoking, you just couldn't go to Smoker's Alley. But if you didn't go to Smoker's Alley, you weren't a part of the, all the conversations that went Smoker's Alley. Yeah. You didn't get the connection time. You didn't get the, like, whole vibe and everything about that evening. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, th- that's how I'm understanding reciprocal narrowing is your choices become narrowed and all the choices you make get you into a dance that's catered to those choices. It's, like, is it, I, got, I was getting the sense that it was almost explicitly, I don't know if bilateral is the right word, but there was a there is a, s- a step A, which leads to step B, which leads to step A, which leads to step B. Um, maybe that was maybe the reciprocity is could be more circular like that. Like you step at any point, and that just like gets you into this sort of like 
cyclical stream. That, uh, but yeah, I, I, my I noticed my friends. I'm just going to go back to the high school for a second. Like there were times before cannabis that friends I we might go on a bike ride. We might go to like the ravines and just play around. We might go to Lake Michigan. We might go skateboarding. I like go to someone's house, like watch a movie, go see a movie at the mall, like like all those options just narrowed to one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, my understanding is it's the interplay between agent and arena. So it's like if I go and I you know, I do a line of Coke and I really like Coke. You know, so then I'm going to as an agent, sort of seek out an arena where that's available, and then that arena I'm go is going to influence me to sort of think and act in particular ways. That right? that arena so, will limit your available options of like like and maybe it's still relatively wide, but it's narrower well, than and, it used to be. Yeah, initially, right? Like, so I enter into the arena of like you know the Coke Field party and maybe I'm just doing that while I also have these other arenas that I'm playing in but that influences me again it's like oh I like that so then I my I like going back to being an agent I gravitate towards that a little bit more and so pretty soon I'm not just at a coke field party I'm you know on the street corner purchasing and I'm hanging out with a bunch of coke heads you know and so it's like this this back and forth between agent and arena mm-hmm. to where the arenas get small like the the arena of going to the movie theater or doing these other things like at first there's an intentionality of choosing specific arenas but then it sort of becomes where the perception is that those are the only arenas and then there's sort of other stuff that happens maybe you get drug legal charges or you know um you, which then again, which also adds to a narr- narrowing of the options, but that's the way I envisioned it, like, and that's the way I understood it is, and it that can happen. So, like, video games would be a good one. So, the arena is obviously your living room, and it may start out with like you go to your friend's house and you play video games, you know, and then but then you really like it, so then you buy your own system and you change your house to this arena where you play video games and it changes you because you socialize less, right? Because you want to play video games and then, so, you know, you get better gear to do that, you know, and so there's this back and forth process and there's a lot of investment in that arena situation and there's a narrowing because pretty soon, like, I don't want to do anything but play video games. I've invested, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars in this system that I have or whatever and it's it's this narrowing of of sort of even the idea that other arenas exist in a sense was the sense I got of mm-hmm. what he was saying and right. that matches my experience it's not even, yeah and it's not even it's not even based on a pleasure principle anymore it's just the only there's times, this is really, this really freaks me out. There's times, even now, it's been like eight years since I've been strung out, which isn't, talk about the narrowing, the like closing of the agent of or agent and arena. It's like, eventually you get to a point where it's like, if I don't get this, I'm going to get sick. And it's 24-7. And it's just like, everything you do is like, you're in this narrowing adventure movie, you know? I'm like the hero, and it's like, 
these days it will come across my mind suddenly it's like I kind of miss that I kind of miss knowing exactly what I had to crystal do. Crystal clear. Oh, it was crystal clear and I could navigate it. You didn't have to think about anything It was else. fucking miserable. Opiate withdrawals are miserable. And they happen like several times a week when you're strung out. But it's like, so it's not on a pre- pleasure principle. It wasn't the like, the release from the drug. And it was like so great and so grand. Because as soon as it hits you, you're like, how do I get more? Okay, now I've got to start chugging along. So it's beyond... It's beyond the relief or the nirvana or the pleasure that it provides. It's like what I'm actually nostalgic for is this like little tiny arena where I know who I am and I know what to do and it had its own purpose. Clarity and it had its own adventure. Uh Somebody might, dealer might pull a gun on me. That was really, seriously, that was really exciting and I could tell that story for years, you know, and I'm a hero and it's just like, it's that's the way when Verveke was laying that out, I was like, He's right. It's like I, at first I reacted against it because we have our own ideology and recovery about addiction. And he started kind of. I was like, "Where is he going with this?" But he's fuck. He's absolutely right. It actually maps like, on it maps exactly perfectly. what it's he like, says. It's not about the biochemical <laughs> addiction. It's not. That's an insidious little like closure that even closes the agent arena that much more because it's like then you need it. But it's like if you need it, how do you break it? You break it by like. The processes that he he describes is like broadening your arena, like mm-hmm. you know, sh- like shattering your your ego and concept of. Your, it's just anyway. I just throw that out there. I'm pretty like, sure he said the only way to break it is enlightenment. Yeah, is the pursuit of enlightenment. Yeah, and or it's a virtuous spiral. Yeah, I mean the the, the what's it called reciprocal narrowing is the axial revolution in black hole collapse, right? It's right. the reverse. It it's like the it's panagoge, anagoge. Which might be why that what we were talking about earlier breaks down, because it's like it's a mi- fundamental misunderstanding of like the great discovery of the axial revolution is like to like achieve higher states of consciousness, and instead these paths that we took seem you know. I think that's the intention, at least. You, you all would know better than I would. But my impression is that kind of that's one of the components of service. In AA is actually to take people whose lives have become like so narrow, yeah. and to get them these new experiences, new relational experiences of interacting with others, basically on top of many things. I don't know if that's well, yeah. Well, it's in every being altruistic is in pretty much every spiritual tradition in some form. But I think it's part of that in the goge of, of yeah. taking that reciprocal narrowing and beginning to kind of like little tendrils of, of new new possibility yeah. new kinds of interaction I think the crucial piece though that I didn't is also the way that interplays with the what did he call the, that thinking process parasitic um, processing yeah the parasitic processing because that is critical in there because let's say that I think life sucks and I do this line of coke and then I think life is amazing and then I come down and I go back and it's like that parasitic processing is happening and I'm getting more and more evidence about how my life sucks and then I go and I get sort of like get the reverse about this thing is a solution it provides something it provides relief to that so there's that 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 funky diagram that he he drew is working on both sides of that and sort of narrowing things down also because 
you know, it's like if you think people are sh- shit and life sucks, go hang out with a bunch of drug addicts and you're going to get that confirmed, right? Because we're yeah. selfish and self-centered and we're going to get ours, right? So so there's this, like, uh, sort of um, false evidence appearing to confirm that bias that we have already in place, you know? And, and that's not every addict story, right? Like, some people just, like they take the drug and they really like it and then they sort of find themselves in this thing but but I everyone that I've talked to eventually sort of arrives at that conclusion that he you know like life sucks and <laughs> and here's this thing that I can do to sort of get through it even if that's not why they started in the first place can I ask you a couple questions that reciprocal narrowing so is it only describe things that are like dominating you in that kind of way? The reciprocal narrowing? Yeah, it's like that it comes to dominate your whole life such that it then causes dysfunctionality. Is that like a key part of it? Then all the ways you're talking, I didn't listen to this part yet. Yeah, it's a good question because immediately what jumps into my mind is like someone like a fighter pilot or an astronaut who's like doing a very specific super intense or an athlete or someone like that that obviously part of competence building that's very similar to what you're describing but is that virtuous in some way that yeah that's a good question like why why is it that someone like well i don't know if michael jordan's a good example but (laughs) someone like someone who's an athlete and he's probably like super heavily that like what they do and their whole existence, everything they eat is to give them the optimal grip in the arena in which they compete. Like what is that result of like happiness um, given the reciprocal arrow or is there something else? Like yeah, how do you distinguish like how are those not the same thing in terms of reciprocal? in the video he was speaking very directly to addiction when he was talking about reciprocal narrowing is very specifically I mean it that's a theory or a proposal made by um, I don't remember the guy's name but some uh, uh, someone who he holds in high esteem who studies addiction and is a recovered from their own addiction so um, I don't know that he was mapping that on to other things at all, though it might. It might. Not it's a good question, though. I mean, like, why? Yeah. Like, because there is, like, if it's an issue of fit and arena, who does that better than an addict and an athlete? You know? I mean, but the, you do have people that are, you know, addicted to, I mean, addicted to working out or something, right? Um, I can see. That reciprocal narrowing, narrowing. Once you start the process, it isn't just it isn't merely isn't just an unavoidable spiral down to the bottom. That like you can um, there it, it is just a dynamic. Like you you could um, you know like start start doing coke and then seek out coke parties and but like never quite do that. Like you still have options like at the higher levels of the reciprocal narrowing. And maybe you're like, oh, man, I see where this is going. I don't want to go there. So you can make a choice. It might not be like easier, comfortable, but you can make a make a choice and like you do some something else that opens up a, a your your options again. And you could like you could 
potentially maybe stay in this yeah. this arena for a while, the tendency, like the neurological tendency, would be to um, go for the easiest of the options open to you. And when you're an agent, being limited by your arena, um, or an agent who chooses an arena that limits the agent, which then chooses the arena again, like yeah. then then you can like you could yeah. go down to a point where you have no yeah. other option. And that. He Verveke addressed that actually when he was, he said it, it's easy to in the Buddhist the noble truths he said it's easy to 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 think that all desire is bad but he said but he pointed out that it's like it's the nature of your desire and how you attach to the object of your desire so it's like I can imagine like a fighter pilot or somebody who's like ultra competent at a system of expertise, if you become attached, I, I would guess that the, the argument would be is if you become so attached to this that this becomes who you are, then that can become some kind of a problem because it could go away. You could, you know, you could lose your competency and then you're in free fall. Is that, so the, I, can, I see how the arena narrows the scope of choices is it that so that, I'm sorry I'm I guess maybe I'm just I'm trying trying to really get a, a firm I guess articulate grasp on what happens here you have a you have a uh, an actor with a wide scope of choices choose one out of in, infinite infinite choices and in so doing, enters an arena. Within that arena, there are the actor finds himself herself in that arena, and then there are fewer choices. Where is the reciprocity? What does the arena do to the agent? Is that is it does it act on the agent neurologically? Like that would seem to suggest a kind of like chemical reality that is non-pertinent fundamentally. Like mm. what 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 is the action that the arena either the arena exerts or that the the agent chooses, ostensibly, maybe. What, what was the, what's the, what, yeah. I suspect there's just a set of rewards and punishments um, that start to happen. Um, so, for example, like with, with if you look at, I think escape behaviors are an example of this. So, for instance, if you have to go back to your, like, Coke example, if someone, someone's feeling miserable, there's this kind of, like, you could almost experience that emotion as actually part of the arena, um, that internal emotional component that's maybe tied to the relationships you have that are falling apart or, like, sources of resentment. And then you ingest magic pill A, and that goes away for a moment. Um, rather than, but it doesn't facilitate you dealing with any of that. It just kind of takes it away for a moment. So it rewards you for doing that briefly. However, when you kind of return back to it, chances are over time your situation declines rather than doesn't, rather than gets better. So the relationships, now you've like come back after or your like umpteenth relapse and now people are leaving you, now your kids aren't talking to you, now like, so in that way the, the, the environment's becoming more and more punishing, and the tool you have to deal with it is to escape it briefly, 
that ends up making the situation worse and therefore more punishing. So making it more, building the pressure to escape that much more unbearable. Mm-hmm. So the very the very solution <coughs> one's using the solution the very strategy one's using to escape an unbearable situation briefly that's successful to some degree is with each click maybe making the situation more unbearable. Because Does that make sense? So that's the arena part changing from the agent because it relieves the motivational pressures to fix the situation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, without fixing the situation. And, and in fact, making it worse. E- even if only it, it's just that the situation goes unattended. Sure. Yeah. But, like, in many cases, the solution does make the situation worse. Yeah. Okay. So you see how the, the agent action fits the arena in a sense because it becomes more and more complicated. Because after that hellhole, like, of the relationships collapsing, well, now the relationships are gone. Mm-hmm. And who's left? Well, it's the people that can help you facilitate that process of escape, mm-hmm. um, which in turn can lead to you know certain elements of criminality. Well, it can lead to certain uh, disease vectors. Can lead to just certain kinds of like more drama. Mm-hmm. And now each one of those is like icing of icing of like unbearable on top of a cake of unbearable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Candles of the barrel. So, and that way the arena now it's like even it seems like more of a fit because now you're engaging with the people that are helping you facilitate this process, but it's actually just the greater decline of your, your life. It's more and more of the unbearableness. Of yeah. So it could. Um, so, unlike the chemical explanation for addiction which is analogous to hunger, I guess, like where you're just like, you, your body, you train your body to need a certain chemical, yeah, and that is not an accurate description of what addiction is. Would it, could you describe, describe that phenomenon more neurologically? Like, you, or do, 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 does that fall prey to the same critique? Well, I think, if I could double dip on this one, it's a, If what you're asking is, well, maybe I'm not clear. Actually, it, 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 it really stopped. I'm not. I think I'll go on about something that I don't think you're actually. So, could you restate just so I'm clear? Yeah. The the chemical explanation for addiction is not adequate to explain the phenomenon because there's a because it's not well. Can I, can I throw something out there? So I was thinking while you guys were all talking, I'm like, so what? There's an arena outside the arena that you return to, right? Which is me- a broader meaning. So like in the expertise example, it's like, okay, you provide, you achieve this like narrowed reciprocity in this one act, in this one, are- in this one arena. But if somebody asks you why you're doing it and you can't answer it, you know, or it doesn't like, you can't step outside of it and say, well, it's got this meaning. And I was thinking, okay, so what do we mean when we say somebody's a workaholic? It implies like this person is sacrificing other things in their life to pursue 
whatever this is that they're working on and they're showing their competence they're really good at it but like all this other shit is being neglected and it's like nobody called Mother Teresa a workaholic right you know so it's like there's like there's arenas inside or out, outside of arenas outside of arenas if that makes sense so it's like yeah the chemical aspect is this narrow reciprocity but outside of it so if that makes sense that it's like if you can't step outside of it I guess I'm wondering how universally there is it could be understood as a neurological phenomenon where you meet certain you meet certain needs or you, you soothe certain pains with a certain course of action which then rewards you neurologically with a dopamine hit or whatever and then you say oh I want like then that, that solved the problem for me and so you, do want, you want to do more of that um, say like let, let's take work for an example um, miserable home life so you're like well I'm just gonna but you can still have plausible deniability well I'm providing for my family so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go work 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 more and you have maybe you're engaged in a process that is you can do well so there's the, there's a dopaminergic response to completing a task well but then you like yeah then you like you go home and you were late, and so your wife is angry at you, so you're like, well, shit, I need to go to work again and get away from that. So you like work double late the next day, and then problem, I don't know, it's a cartoony example, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if, because if, I'm still, I'm, there's something that I'm having trouble, I want to understand it, like, crystal clear. It's like, it's like 80% there, and there's some dynamic that still feels a little foggy for me, and thinking that if we can, if it, if you can, it can be understood as a, as a largely neurological sort of like training, then I think that might help me, but maybe maybe there's, maybe that's an, an inadequate kind of a frame. The neuro, I think maybe the issue I'm having is the neurological, like everything's neurological, like that, so do you mean very specifically like, I mean, anytime you're having a perception, it's a neurological event. Yeah, I guess I'm, it's like like a dopaminergic response or something, where something you could, like, you can, you can get addicted to gambling, not because there's an exogenous chemical, but because you're, you put yourself in an artificial environment that triggers a dopamine response. Um, and is addiction, does addiction always do that? Oh, I see. Always provide a dopamine. Is there always a dopaminergic I suppose so. I would imagine so. So, so then in the agent arena, you enter the agent enters an arena which provides a dopamine response, which then the agent, like the agent, has a, a higher threshold for what satisfies that dopaminergic response, which limits their arena op options, and it becomes, and they'll probably go back to the arena where they got the highest hit before, and then that'll that'll like kind of maybe raise the dopaminergic threshold for. Um, at least, if not material, like sort of biochemically, bio neurologically, but at least like, uh, like taste-wise, you're like, well, like a little bit was good, a little more be even better. Is it? Is there? Isn't there an underlying sense that? So this might be a weird chicken and egg, but what drives you to be a workaholic, or what? 
the prevailing factor is a sense of anxiety, a mortal anxiety that drives you to create an arena where you have some form of agency and control that causes you to deny or avoid the existential issues that caused you anxiety in the first place and they just get exacerbated over time and you've put your all your energy into an arena that that is going to decay and erode over time and you're going to come to the end of the road where the original thing that caused you to like put all your eggs in one basket or caused you to create this um, reality has simply exacerbated Does that make does that make sense? Yeah. There's like the, the, the like well when he's talking about dom domicide, you know the yeah. sense of like not being at home in the world. Isn't there an original anxiety that that like that has to be? I mean, that has to be dealt with. I got the impression that the the sort of crux of the reciprocal narrowing always sort of the genesis of that was that parasitic reasoning. Like, Could you map up like, what, how are you understanding that parasitic reasoning? Because I don't think I have very good name. Okay, so I actually wrote it out because I'm like, okay. So you have an event that you interpret as bad. This was the example that he gave. So you interpret it as bad. And your brain automatically kicks in and begins to sort of anticipate future similar events and then does the whole assessment of probability that they'll, they'll, that event will occur again. It uses the heuristics of representation, as has happened before, and um, availability, uh, um, and which then leads to this sort of... Um, He talked about coding specificity, like, do I recall a similar thing happening? So let's say that I, um, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give an example. Let's say that I, uh, Rick and I get into a fight, yeah. and I interpret that as bad, and then I begin to think about, like, how likely is it that we're going to fight again in the future? And then I begin to sort of assess the probability of that occurring. And so doing that, I begin to look at, like, how representative is the, like, is the topic of this fight? Is this something we fight about all the time? Um, is, how often has this happened? Um, you know, like, oh, we fought about this last week, right? So, so, um, and... And let's say that I have sort of this confirmation bias that all couples fight, like that they always fight about money. Let's say our fight's about money, and I sort of have this idea that all couples fight about money. So I'm checking in with, yeah, we fought last week about money. We're probably going to fight next week about money too, right? So then I begin to sort of, um, I judge that probability to be high, and I get anxious because I don't want to fight with Rick. You know, um, and what I do is I end up losing cognitive flexibility. I can't really think of other ways to solve the problem that we're trying to solve, you know, the money problem or whatever it is. Um, and then I, so I can't solve that problem. I begin to make mistakes. So I, maybe I make some absurd demand about like stop buying your damn coffee every day, you know, or whatever it is, right? 
and and that fails right which increases my anxiety and we fight next week right because this has all occurred which then the events there i deem it as that you know it's this like pattern and 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 then i sort of get this fatalism that we're just going to always fight about money like it's always going to to be there and so within that like it can lead to this reciprocal the way i understand the reciprocal the way that would tie into reciprocal narrowing is like rather than like because i've lost cognitive flexibility i've lost the ability to sort of identify other problems and even if i did even if i was like oh well i made that mistake by telling him not to buy coffee i'm not going to to make that mistake again because the system is so adaptive that even if the next time i have this great idea about how he cannot spend money you know i'm not going to tell him about it but everything's adaptive and i'm inevitably going to create another situation in which we fight about money because i've got this bad idea that all couples fight about money and it's this it's being constantly reinforced and so the reciprocal narrowing happens like at the more we fight about money right and so sort of it's changing you know the more in a sense i'm losing control and it's reaffirming so it's playing back and forth and pretty soon you know potentially we're fighting about money every single day and the relationship goes kaput you know how whatever would you, how would you articulate what's the uh, what's your understanding of the parasitic why does he call it parasitic processing what's the parasitic part do you think i don't know i've got a parasitic on your normal processes that you would use to make sense and expand your world? I th yeah, I, th I think it has largely to do with uh, state-dependent memory, too. Because mm -hmm. you, oh, yeah. you, you get, you feel, you have a fight, and so then you, you feel just like angry and anxious, which means that you remember all the other times you've been angry and anxious. And so you have this, uh, like, your imagination for what other potential states are narrows. And so, and when you're angry and anxious, you're going to reason as the like from that that state, and then it's going to create a state of deeper anger and anxiety. And so it, it like sort of a maybe I'm thinking about it more like like it's a the, the parasiticness is, is sort of a vicious spiral again. But that's yeah, that was how I understood it. So a parasite kind of takes over or like hijacks, off, hijacks something else. But it attempts to find stasis with the host too. So maybe it doesn't go down, but you, just, you can't. It's not an actual parasite. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> maybe it just yeah, like to the extent that it's a uh, yeah, you hit the um, yeah the uh, to the extent that it limits your capacity to imagine other ways of feeling and thinking. It. Um, yeah, it feeds on your cognitive processes. The thing was amazing. So such an interesting point was that that is the very like adaptive mechanism that allows us to like actually do this, the same thing positively and to like adapt to a changing environment. Is is if you, uh, I think if I understand the point he was making, you're in a say you you uh, a certain species of predator hunts at a certain time time of year, 
and you were in a hunting party, and like one guy got knocked knocked out at this time in the fall last year, and so it's this time in the fall this year, and you have this like you have this 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 uh, um, state dependent memory, a sort of environmentally dependent memory, and you get get all these like host of associations. So then you're more you're you're on high alert for this predator that that came in these in this same circumstance, maybe, um, and so. In some situations, that is a highly adaptive response. Another, but in the situation of having a fight about money, it just can only allow you to see other fights about money and reduces your capacity to imagine other realities, which yeah. then creates a, a trench state of anxiety. And I think it's not just fights about money, right? It, it, because it's state yeah. dependent, it'd be all fights that I'd ever had yeah. with anybody. And broader, yeah, like yeah, more, with, all points like, of all anxiety that. too. Yeah, all that would We're be fighting tied about in. money and the country's fucked and the environment's yeah, yeah. burning. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's like all it, like unconsciously present. Is yes. that the idea? Mm -hmm. But even so, this I found absolutely fascinating and maps onto my own experiences. Even if you it, you like become aware of this systemic thinking, or you become aware of the flaw in thinking that's not sufficient to address it or to stop it right. because it's so adaptive. So it will just like, and that's my experience. It's like I, something comes into my awareness and I begin to try to operate differently in the world. And it's like whack-a-mole. It'll show up somewhere else. And it's just like, Oh shit. It's that thing that I thought that I had sort of resolved, but it's over here now in this different area of my life. But can you give, like, a... I, I'm not sure... I have something in mind, but I'm not sure it's what you're talking about. Can you give, like, a somewhat specific... as specific that you're comfortable with example mm -hmm. of what you're talking about? With it. Um... I'm trying to think of one of the more recent ones. Um... So I used to be the kind of person that would tend to... Like, I'm, I'm really... Uh, believe it or not, an agreeable person. Like, I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm well, I <laughs> I mean, I have strong opinions, but I... But, like, my nature is to want to get along with people and be agreeable um, and, and not have conflict. Like, I do not... Enjoy Wait, are we talking about the lies we tell ourselves? Yeah. Conflict. Well, here's the question. Right. So, so it's like at coming into my awareness at how that has like created dishonesty in my life. It's like I'm going to be a more honest person with, uh, even if it ends up creating some tension, because. Um, you know, so so I begin to sort of like, okay, I'm going to go out in the world and I'm going to say things that are difficult for me to say. And I get all proud because I'm doing this consistently. And it's like, oh, I've changed, right? Like, I've, I'm like this person with a voice now that's not just keeping my mouth shut, you know, and going along with things that I don't believe in. And I'm talking back in situations, talking back, but I'm talking to situations where, you know, I'm not just like going along. But, you know, it's like I sort of begin to have problems in my personal relationship. And, you know, like in looking at that, I begin to realize that, like, I have sort of, I'm playing that dynamic out again where I'm not being truthful about 
things for the sake of keeping the peace, right? Yeah. So it's this process, it's the same sort of, it's like a bad idea that's permeated, and, and I may address it in my social relations, but, you know, it's like it's going to crop up in my personal yeah, relations. Like each, or in there's going to be different kinds of relationships that are going to be different enough and unique enough that you almost need to address it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or like it doesn't I don't generalize super easily. Yeah. Or like I go to my family's house and <laughs> and you know it's like something's going on and I just keep my mouth shut because it's important to keep the peace, you know. But it turns into a huge situation, and then ex- examining how it turned into this huge situation, it's like oh I did that thing again where I should have said something in the moment and I didn't. You know, so that's that's like a, that's a theme for me is like not saying something when I should have said something, and sort of like. Which most likely was really adaptive. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a safety measure. For it sure. worked super well. Yeah. This reminds me of the time I went to a Tony Robbins event with Clayton. Oh gosh! Why didn't someone make a documentary? Oh my god! I was actually that <laughs> was actually the first time I did mushrooms. <laughs> okay. But it was a, a sub perceptual <laughs> dose. Okay. I didn't even. <laughs> was Clayton on a full dose? Like, he was. He was I think he had a little more than I was. Anyway, like so, it's this. It's what you'd imagine: this huge auditorium, super hypey. There's like loud dance music and like everybody's like I can't just stand up and dance and like and Clayton and I are like oh my god no way we're standing up and dancing <laughs> um and oh my they they like they finally got to me and like but here, here here's like what it was like un- unlike when this usually happens there is a uh there is like I don't know in any sort of event where they try to get you like up and like moving and um, this is sort of an effort I think sort, usually a, a, a sort of artless effort to change your state and such that you feel a little better after moving so such that you feel more positive such that you associate whatever is being said with positivity this was explicitly called out this is exactly like this is like Tony Robbins like said this is what I'm doing yeah, like, like, like that's like his dream like, like if you um, like you're not going to like you can like maybe know this in your head, but it's not gonna make, mean a thing if you're if it's not embodied. Like so you, and so we did like all these exercises I, that I, I was like just so both kind of dispositionally and like like I'm 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 the like I'm the intelligent one in the crowd that mm. that always is like mm. like I I'm, I think I'm above what's going on. Like I, I can I can I can see what's happening. Um, so, and but like. After a while, I'm like, you know what? I think like if I if I if I if I am if I retain this this posture, if there's any anything good here, like I'm not going to get it. And so, well, all right, fuck it. I'm just gonna dance like an idiot. And and like Clayton, Clayton did too. Like we I, like got him to do it, and we were like, and it was, and then we did this thing where we like we like took turned to someone we we didn't didn't know, and like shook their hand as though we didn't care about them and just like felt how it felt even though we knew we were acting and then it was like alright now to greet the same person like they're your best friend you haven't seen in five years how do you like make this big happy face you hug and like there was actually this this like this surge of like positive emotion 
I even just, I, everybody knows we're faking it, but it's like it's it was like it was it was actually really powerful. Um, and and I've always had this notion that like if I if I you know we put on a happy face or whatever if I if I uh, artificially create some emotive experience and there there's like there's a there's artificialness to it a falseness to it. Um, but like so much of our our memory is state dependent. And so much of our our like our kind of emotive posture, we have much more control over that than we understand. Yeah. Than we than we intuit usually. Yeah. It's, um, a, it's that card. It's that idea that we're just somehow we're disembodied. Like, it's really the it has to be the starting place mm -hmm. to think that our bodies and how we carry ourselves doesn't really matter. Yeah. And that to change that is not to really change ourselves. Like, in order to arbitrary or something mm -hmm. like that. It's a very I mean, it's a, it's familiar, you know, yeah. but but that Tony Robbins thing of like wanting to change your state of being the superwoman or superheroes mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, I think that yeah, I mean, it's just tapping into that reality of like yeah. I mean, as a person who has like a hunched over posture, like it's like I mean, I think it affects my whole personality. Mm -hmm. I carry myself in this way. in good ways, in good ways. Yeah, <laughs> some good ways. Some, some, some. On the on the inside, there are some challenging ways in which that impacts me. Mm -hmm. you know? But to change that would, I think, be quite like impactful. Yeah, yeah. Um, would, it's just tenacious. So. It was a it was like a short afternoon event. Usually, these events are like I don't know half a week long, so you can like. Uh, like if if you're if, if he's if he's peddling some something like artificial, then you like imbibe it more. But if he's actually like doing something like sincere and genuine, which I'm inclined to think he is, like like you're more open to it after a few days. Like, but even so, like it was is more of a intellectual insight. Like the the sort of the, the bodily experience sort of faded pretty quickly, like that or that that uh, um, embodied memory. But still, it was it was a really it was a powerful it's a powerful memory still just because like it was a lived experience of the how like that powerful changing of state and like how it's actually there's we have some agency in there, um, which is why when like you're like depressed and anxious and that's all you can see, like going for a run, like it makes such a can make such a big difference. Um, Usually, I, I like to dignify my my anxiety by like after I'm done running, I'm like I still feel bad, like like that didn't of course that didn't fix it, like so I kind of try to lean into it a little further, but um, yeah, there's like I don't know just in this conversation, like I was reminded of that of that uh how yeah how powerful state dependent memory and like physi physiognomy, I think that's the right word can be towards. Especially in addressing things like um, like anxiety, because it is hitting on sort of those primal instincts of fight, flight, or freeze, and so movement. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we do have sort of these. Um, like the polyvagal theory is fascinating because there's literally systems that will shut everything down that we have no control over and and it sort of ties in with what he's talking about here is in that loss of agency is is like given the right conditions 
a person will be inca literally incapable of responding to a situation because their entire system has been shut down. They're frozen like the lizard on the log that you walk up on you know, when they go. <laughs> and, uh, and other, like, so with state-dependent learning, that ties in as well. It's like certain, that post-traumatic stress disorder is a perfect example of that, how certain things can activate a state of being because of the interconnectedness of, um, what do they call it, the, um, I was thinking a lot about PTSD with the parasitic, I've never heard the term polybagel. What is that? Polybagel is uh, okay. So it's kind. It's really complex, but I'll. I mean, uh, like more complex than I've really been able to completely wrap my head around. And I've only got a little bit into it. So, but um, so polybagel theory is. So we know about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, right? You know, it's like a tiger chasing us, like, activates. We, you know, gut stops processing food. Like, all the power goes, all the energy, the body does things to conserve energy to run the fuck away. Uh, but polyvagal is this other sort of independent neurological system, and it's ten... It, it tends to be associated with the freeze mechanism. And so it's, the idea is, is that um, sensory wise, like it could exist below our um, actual conscious awareness. Um, so like the vibes we get off people. So I get a creepy vibe. That's a polyvagal system response. It's picking up on something, some information, and sending an alert to the system. Now, in extreme cases, it can cause a complete freezing reaction. So I'll give an example of this. Um, I was at work. I was had my back. I was taking an order. I had my back. Some customers could walk to tables behind me and this man walked up and ran his hand down my side I froze what I would have liked to have done has been like what the fuck are you you know like I would have liked to respond it that way because it was very invasive and very but I like froze I couldn't move I couldn't think I couldn't respond that's a polyvagal response and it's something that we don't have any control over right. um, and it can be so extreme that it like people's heart will stop I mean it it like when scared to death that's the polyvagal system kicking in like it will literally go like the threat so real that we need to conserve all amounts of energy threat so real we need to down. die yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> shut, shut all these systems down yeah so it's it's fairly new, uh, uh, a newer sort of theory that's um, this guy out of gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. I should look his name up. That has to do with the bagel nerve, right? Yes. Yeah. So he talks about, and this is the part that I need to do a little bit more because I've only listened to a couple. 
things on it because I find it really fast. Because I was like, what? Why? You know, like, I was really upset that I could not have, res like, I, I, was, I was thinking, like, I should be responding to this in a totally different way, and why did I do that, and why couldn't I respond, and then it was, I was given that information, and I'm like, um, hmm. which is, yeah, the video, Uh, Porges. Stephen Porges is the guy that developed the polythagal theory. Anyway, and he's really interesting because his wife does research also into oxytocin and um, and there there's a correlation which I, I can't pretend to understand but there's definitely a cor correlation between um, oxytocin production and which can be impacted by a non a non natural birth, like cesarean. Anyway, get into a bunch of science stuff, but so apparently they're finding that cesarean births um, can actually hardwire for a decreased production of uh, or susceptibility to oxytocin, and so people or traumatic births. So people, they're. The idea is that people who maybe don't have as much access to oxytocin through, like, the means that which you were describing, hey, how you did, that's all oxytocin and stuff, um, tend to, to have a stronger polyvagal response. But anyway, that's, I don't oh, know. Oh, wow. <laughs> we just called her a girl over the rough. Anyway, that was kind of a far, far field from where we were at. No, no, that's great. Um, is there much to talk about in the um, Mercurian? Just story or one of them is uh, you saw this little boy in Athens like throwing rocks into a crowd of, of uh, people or just a, a crowd of like a bunch of people getting together a bunch of guys getting together I think it was the kid just being a rascal and throwing it he goes, he goes watch out you might hit your dad <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what the moral lesson is, but I just <laughs> dissed the kid. <laughs> that note, y'all, I think I need to run. Right. Good seeing you. Yeah. yeah. See you next week, hopefully. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yes, hopefully. Um, Although I really enjoy listening to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't texted you back yet, but um, uh, still... Still potential for this weekend. If, oh, cool! If awesome. Yeah. So let's, you. let's yeah, let's touch base about that yeah. the next day or two. Sounds good. Get clear on it. Okay. Awesome. All right. Wrap. All right. Thanks. That's Shane. Yeah. All right. See you all later. See you later.
hit all the major points. I think it's hard to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm like pages and pages of notes. Yeah, this was the first one in a while I had watched and it made a huge difference. Um, what do we have coming up next in this series? What does Fern want to do? Yeah. She wants to do another Schmechtenberger uh, called Ubiquitous Pathologies. It's a podcast, I think. Is it? It's somewhere. I'll find it. Is that the name of the podcast? That's the name of the episode. I can't remember the name of the podcast it was on. I think he was a guest on something. just taking a break for a week to do this other one and then or because it's just one episode yeah I began to um oh I think it might be a YouTube video so we've got Marcus Aurelius and Jesus Christianity and Agape Gnosis and Existential Inertia I'm pretty interested in what we've got coming up. I'm not, I'm not super... I would, I would feel pretty... Uh, we've got a ton of cool shit. Yeah. We could take a break for a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and come back to it. Can we do the two... Well, I guess they just feed. I was going to say... Because sometimes the way that we've been laying them out... So it's like we finish up Buddhism and then we're in the beginning of another sort of... Mm-hmm. series of videos and I was wondering if there was a way we could get it adjusted to where we're doing like a chunk doing, when we're doing three they're yeah. all on the same topic yeah basically. sure yeah we were just doing the next three and it was like we did higher states of consciousness part two for one of the things and it would make more sense to group them when there's two partners yeah um, so we'll do ferns for next week yeah I like that. I like the idea. I'm super um, supportive when anybody's enthusiastic enough Mm -hmm. to pitch an idea. It's like I trust all of you. Man, we almost need to. It's exciting to me that meet meet twice a week to cover all this content. I know. I know. I feel like the last two Uh, I've been overwhelmed. It's like I don't. But a lot of it, what I found I feel like really... like a muddy mud skipper right now, yeah, just skimming the surface. I found really interesting, that I find really interesting is, like, the way, like, the... He really, it really maps up onto sort of that um, program of AA in an interesting sort of mm-hmm. way. So... Specifically in the addiction? No, no just in general. In the, like, exact... It, yeah, it's it matters really well. Yeah, like, so like that idea of not of like it doesn't matter actually what what you believe, 
like the beliefs are not sufficient to evoke the necessary change um, to sort of begin on that path of enlightenment like that's absolutely something that maps onto my experience that it doesn't matter what what I believe it matters like how I am embodying and participating and acting in the world mm-hmm. um, you know it's like some some sort of ideas that in AA is like you can't think your way out of this problem you have to act your way out um, so like some of those things are very um, like they map on to, to what he's talking yeah. about and then it's actually irrelevant what you believe it's more about um, yeah or even that you believe which it, there's a, like a yeah it's really interesting that kind of rattled me that one example of like two people can have like completely higher state ec- ecstatic experiences and one can be like there is a god there is no god you know that it's like oh the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is not some like graspable truth that will unlock the like metaphysics of reality for mm-hmm. you it's more like the pro and which is interesting because there's an underlying assumption if you can apply morality to that that the most important thing to do is to sort yourself out. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like to find, to bring yourself into harmony, which implies like, I like, it It makes me out deeply uncomfortable that there's not some like governing truth that we all need to bow, you know, that we all need yeah. to like align ourselves with, that we can trust each other enough that it's like, the way to dis- discern amongst ourselves is how sorted, you know, it's yeah. like, instead of that person's bad and that person's good, it's like that person's really sick and unsorted and that person has their shit together. And it's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter what their ultimate, like, driving motive is in like a metaphysical sense. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes against, it's, a, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, like, it's can be well, yeah. <laughs> without with without a truth to point to and like claim socially, like I mean, don't I don't know. Don't we kind of need that? Don't we, a, like, <laughs> or maybe we don't. Like maybe there is a way to transcend it, but but that without that, like we tend to fucking fly the fuck apart. Yeah, yeah. So so when he was talking about the four uh, enabling provocations. Mm-hmm. Which I really appreciated. So I'm gonna I'll tell you the first four steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that uh, uh, we're unable to manage our own lives. That's not exactly but that's the gist of it. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand him. Um, and four is a searching and fearless moral inventory. So when he was talking about these enabling provocations, so the first one being that all life is suffering, which he, the Reformation is to realize that all life is threatened by this loss of agency, Mm -hmm. right? So I am powerless and my life has become unmanageable. I'm powerless over something and my life has become, I'm, I'm suffering. Right? It's the realization that I'm suffering. I'm threatened by this. Uh, step two came to believe. So I realized that suffering can be understood and overcome. 
So that's step two. Step three, realize that I can recover agency. I mean, they have it in these terms of like, turn our will and life over to the care of God, but really that's the promise. Like I can recover the agency in my own life. And then these realizations lead to enacting, which is step four. I take an, an evaluation of my life and see where I need to act differently. I begin enacting uh, this way of life that that decreases self delusion because that's what a fourth step that's does. Interesting. It, it decreases. I mean, and it, to the best of if you do one to the best of your ability, you begin to see where you've been self deluded. You begin to see where those um, parasitic thought processes. I was thinking that the whole time too. I was like. Yeah, that's exactly what God exposed for me, and it attacked it on all these different, when he was talking about needing to sort of have this multi-pronged attack, and anyway, I found that very interesting, Um, uh, because, you know, and then the fifth step is to, like, you go and you share that with somebody, well, there's where you're getting outside of that sort of narrow perspective, and you're getting some other information, some other like ideas about how to solve these problems that you've been ineffectively solving over and over and over again in the same kind of way, causing more problems. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how it maps on. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just another. It's kind of astonishing, actually. I mean, we use like it was. We use it in Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's just another example of a spiritual pathway that follows other traditional spiritual pathways mm-hmm. towards enlightenment. Meaning, I mean, if you go back to what he said earlier about that, meaning being this pathway to this, this overcoming of self-delusion. Nobody wants to be self-deluded. No. But we <laughs> right? are. Nobody wants to admit that they are. Which is the greatest self-delusion of all. <laughs> I do have a thought on the Verbecki. Um, this might just be where I'm at in life compared to all of you, but um, three episodes not really like workable content for me especially because I can't it's too much uh yeah and we like cover so little of what it's proven it's too much for me too I think one one or two episodes if they're related thematically would be much more productive and much more manageable for me to keep up with what we're listening to because I got way behind and I'm still not caught up and And this ain't it is super interesting (laughs) and I would (laughs) like to keep doing it I think that we could also break it up with other stuff yeah yeah I like that but I think as like kind of backup background like what we're working through and we don't have anything else I'm super into it yeah you're not you're not alone the last couple of weeks I've felt like it's three has felt like a big mouthful and I feel like while the conversations have been valuable, it's like I felt like I don't, I've got, I don't know I don't know why this where this like got its claws in my psyche, but like I'm like I, it was like so now as a kid I have a plate of food <coughs> and I was like how fast can I get through this Me food? Too. It's the austerity. And, <laughs> maybe, well, I don't, I don't. It wasn't like a scare a point of scarcity. It was like I don't like there was there was like some. I wanted to be done with consuming it. Yeah. But then, like, as soon as it was done, I was like, oh, wh- wh- where's the next thing? Where's yeah. dessert? Yeah. Like, yeah. And that, that's just, like, from, like, way little. When I was a kid, we didn't have TV, like, which is before phones. Like, I don't know what the fuck. 
that came from, where the fuck that came from. But um, yeah. doing the same thing with Verveki, I'm like, oh, yeah. we gotta like no, yeah. less. Like we need to do five a week. We need to like. Sorry, Brian. We're doing five We need five to get, next get week. through this. It's so good, but we get through it. We go go that fast. Last time I went through it, like I barely, I barely got like a tenth of anything. Yeah. And I think yeah, if we slowed even slowed down even further, I think it would. Be, I think that would be great. Because I'm really into it. Yeah. It's felt like slightly overwhelming, and I feel kind of like. It is so. I feel kind of paralyzed dense. in here because there's so much note taking, and then mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, cool. No, one or two. Plus, we're covering. I mean, we're just like it's just like Stoics, yeah. <laughs> Buddha, mindfulness, yeah, Jesus, Marcus. It's just like boom, yeah, boom, yeah. boom, boom. It's like you could stop at any one place and do a year. I'm sure. Well, I felt like, for me uh, <coughs> the higher states of conscious felt burdensome mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was just that I was having a hard time sort of getting mapped onto it or because I've had my own higher states of consciousness and I was like yeah 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 come on <laughs> you know or what like I don't know I think good. he teased up he tees up with certain episodes yeah. he's like prepping prepping the way to like hit another chunk of like rich yeah I think yeah yeah I think everybody had that experience um, it was a lot denser, a lot less to hold on to. Um, I'm sure there's concepts in there that he'll refer to later, yeah. or I imagine that might, might be the case. I don't know. Yeah. Um, he spent a lot of time building on arguments, so it seems like it must be mm-hmm. pretty important to this case. I'll need, yeah, and, you know, I'm going to try to listen to those again. I definitely feel like through lines and threads being slowly sewn to get like, these, like, whoa, you know? Yeah. I wish there was a podcast player that was more geared for study that you could you could retain instead of when you listen through something and stayed downloaded, you could like take notes on it, you could take like audio notes on yeah. it. It would like um, wouldn't that be rad? Yeah. Do you like know anybody who develops? Because yeah. that's a million dollar idea. Yeah, really. <laughs> right there. Well <laughs> if we would we would I don't know how many how many people are like, spending time with podcasts? There's a lot of people who yeah. are seeking, right? It's a really confusing time. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know anybody super closely who's not already super busy. <laughs> yeah. But that would be a red. Or like on, on my Kindle, I can highlight like mm-hmm. certain certain areas, like a, something that you could highlight mm-hmm. a portion of the podcast mm-hmm. to listen to. Audiobook players have some of that functionality built into them, like you can bookmark them, you can make notes. And yeah, places, yeah. But not podcasts. Uh-huh. On audiobooks? Yeah. Uh, you like book Audible does that. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, you can bookmark spots. And Wow. So the, that's so cool. it's possible. It's just merging mm-hmm. the two, right? Yeah. Everybody's done that for podcasts. I wish, man. So Audible and Amazon Kindle have the Whisper Sync feature, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, it's like so expensive. You've got to buy the, you can buy the bundle, which is like two or three times as much. I don't know what I'm about. It's, it's, you get it. It's, yeah, not, yeah. Not, it's not too many times. But it is like, for every book, you got to like, you got to spend even more, and then you have to. Click um, price? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that. We got a fireplace. Toasty. <laughs> I'm sorry, are you okay? Your eyebrows. Um, <laughs> there you but, go. 
It'd be rad if there was like, yeah, I don't know. You'd, you'd have to have like a transcription service, and then they would have to each word would have to be like time stamped too. Yeah. Um, that'd be pretty amazing. Yeah, to be able to read it along. Yeah, totally. Mm. Though I imagine that AI exists enough that you could, like, have the AI could transcribe it. You'd have to have somebody proof it. Yeah. You know, but do yeah. the transcription with the timestamp. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, this is way beyond my, my can. I make I make decks. <laughs> yeah, I'm not tech savvy. I just this use it. Was produced and first aired on a That's the one. That's ubiquitous psychopathology. Oh, Daniel Schmeichelberg. Is it a hour and a half YouTube video? Cool, perfect. Ubiquitous psychopathology. You send that one out. Why are you looking at me? I love psychopaths. I'll send it to the group. Cool, cool. Yeah, I like that. Cool. Well, good meeting, guys. Yeah.